Welcome to Confessions of a Fitness Professional Special Edition, a mini-series where we take a look at the blue zones of happiness. What are they? How can we gain perspective? And how can we utilize this method to live a better, fuller, more thriving lifestyle. Let's dive in. I cannot wait to uncover the mysteries of the blue zones of happiness with you. Part two of our discussion on the blue zones of happiness. Welcome back to Confessions of a Fit Professional. I'm your fit pro, Andra Anderson, and this is a special edition of our series. We are going to have a four-part series, so this is part two. If you haven't seen or listened to part one, go ahead back and find that. That really introduces the concept of the blue zones, introduces the, the book, and the plan of attack for our series. I loved part two. So my background, so I don't really get a chance to share this very much with my fitness community, but my background is in history. I love history. I I love autobiographical history. I love understanding an author and their methodology and where they're coming from and what they find crucial and important and what has really influenced their work. And I found a lot of that in part two of the Blue Zones of Happiness. So part two goes through three different locations that a whole team of researchers, including Dan Butner, visited and met with individuals and followed them and looked at happiness in these particular areas. So the three locations, we start in Costa Rica, we move to Denmark, and we finish in Singapore. So really three very different communities, but every single one of them kept coming up as one of these blue zone areas, one of these areas where people were living beyond 100 years old. The way of life was allowing people to live much longer than others in a similar area. So looking at at Costa Rica, they followed a couple of individuals. Um, Alejandro Zuniga is the first one and he has avocados and he sells avocados. And one thing that really struck me from that section of part two of the Blue Zones of Happiness was that he would go to a market to sell his avocados. And that immediately brought me to the Chestertown Farmer's Market. So that's where I first really discovered good food. And that's where I saw Brussels sprouts for the first time. I never knew that they grew on a stalk. That's where I saw turnip greens for the first time, uh, watermelon radishes. I mean, it just brought back all of these really awesome memories. There is this fantastic farmer's market not too far from where I live currently and actually where I used to live in Chestertown, Maryland. It's huge. For the number of people, Kent County in Maryland is by people the smallest county and it has this huge farmer's market that rivals other markets in the state. I mean there are so many entrepreneurs in this area, so many growers, there's such an emphasis on local food. 
good food, nutritious food. And we're discovering through Blue Zones of Happiness that food is a major contributor, a major contributor to happiness and to longevity, to community and to growth and overall contentment. And it just, it brought me back when they were talking about how, you know, he might have, Alejandro has his avocado stand, but it's, it's often that he'll mind somebody else's stand. He'll look after it for somebody, maybe even selling their items. That always happened at the Chestertown Farmer's Market. They were, they, they were such a tight-knit community, and even if they sold similar things, it never felt like they were in competition with each other. It was like they are, their only competition was like fast food, right? So in terms of if somebody bought from one vendor, they were more likely to buy from another vendor, right? So they were really, it really fostered this, this non-competition, but growth idea. So it was like, even if you had very similar items and you were stationed next to each other in this farmer's market, there, there wasn't a lot of competition or there wasn't this feeling of competition. And that's what I got from reading this section on, on Costa Rica, happiness in Costa Rica. It was like part of the narrative of living in Costa Rica was looking out for each other, building this really good community, finding finding happiness together. And at the end of each of these sections, these little mini sections in part two, Dan Buettner outlines some lessons learned from spending time with these individuals, from learning about their, their rituals, their daily habits, their value to community, how they spend their time, how they spend their time. So, Here's what he says about Costa Rica. So, my goodness, I'm shedding. Tis the season. <laughs> Develop daily social rituals. Live close to your friends or make friends of your neighbors. It definitely felt like what he was describing in Costa Rica. Everyone was part of this community and everybody had a piece of the community and, and it wasn't like what I've experienced or what I really I hate to say it, enjoy is like not really knowing your neighbors, like kind of looking outside to see if they're out there. I we used to live near a lot of, and I'm I'm sorry to say this, but we used to live near a lot of elderly people. We were the youngest people on the street, and it was nice for many aspects. It was a very quiet neighborhood, but there was this weird competition when it came to you know, lawn care or taking care of your house. I mean, all of these people were retired and we were both working full-time jobs. And, you know, my husband is very into keeping a nice appearance. I mean, our yard, it's fantastic. He takes such good care of our area, but, you know, he couldn't compete. And it was like, it fostered this, you know, if you're not mowing your lawn every day while you're here, um, if you leave your trash cans out for an hour after the garbage man comes and gets your trash, like that's that's not good. It was kind of like having an HOA. So it was a it was not it wasn't a bad place to live. It was a great place to live. It was just weird, and it it didn't feel like looking out for each other. But this this community in Costa Rica that is described in the book felt like people were really genuinely interested in each other's well-being and taking care of each other. And I think that's one of the keys in that area for longevity, having a whole village of people take care of you. So 
Costa Rica, live close to your friends or, or make friends with your neighbors, have happy hours, potlucks, backyard cookouts. And it basically says that people are happiest on days when they socialize for five to six hours. Five to six hours. Okay, from Costa Rica, enjoy special little days. Join a book club, a walking club, a Bible study, or if there isn't one, create it. Set it up with your most committed friends and make it a ritual, make it a habit. Set the time aside to have those bonding moments. And not just with your immediate family, with the other people in your community. Uh, establish weekly family rituals. So Costa Rican families traditionally gather for meals on Saturdays or Sundays, like a late lunch. It includes everybody, everybody, everybody. Uh, definitely a big thing growing up was dinner. Uh, Sunday breakfast was a big thing. Friday night dinner was a big thing. We had dinner as a family more often than not. And I think that's that was really uh, a vital part of growing up. Um, eat together at work. This is a big one. I raise your hand if you work in a job that requires you or allows you to take a lunch. So apparently you are required to take a lunch if you work an eight hour shift, but I don't. I, I usually will have a uh, smoothie for lunch and I kind of drink it as I, as I go. And this is saying to take the time away and eat lunch with other people. I find often, so I work in a school environment. I don't work for a school, but I work in a school environment. I find that some teachers will get together and eat together. Some teachers will host like a lunch bunch group. And some teachers, as I discovered today when I was handing up passes to meet with kids, will shut off all their lights, lock their door, and sit in the corner. <laughs> so they're saying the key to happiness in Costa Rica is to take the time to have an actual lunch and to eat with people that you work with. Um, they also really value humor, so they do a lot of jokes to reduce stress. Um, they're very into their faith, and they eat six servings of fruit and vegetables a day. Here it comes back to the food. Food is really essential to longevity, so they're, they're really focused on fruits and vegetables. Um, this one also says shop for groceries daily, so they followed um, the individual who, I've already forgotten his name, Alejandro, Alejandro with the avocados. Um, they followed him and, you know, they had these markets. I, I guess in my mind, I thought it was a weekly market, but it could have been a daily market. But the idea is if you're eating fresh food, you're going to shop for it daily. You're going to, you know, go to the corner market. You're going to support local versus going to a big box store and loading up for the week and having things that have tons of preservatives in them and most likely not very good for your health. So if you it seems like it it would add stress to shop every day and certainly the lifestyles that we lead in the United States would not allow for daily grocery runs, daily market runs. But other countries prioritize it because they are eating really fresh food that is made that day or made the night before, food that will spoil if you leave it in your on your counter or in your refrigerator for so long. In the United States, we have huge refrigerators, but other countries don't do that. So in Costa Rica, they really prioritize going to the market daily. They are also big into generosity, which means that um, what you give in this life, God will pay back in the next. So they live like that. The big thing with uh, uh, with Alejandro with the avocados was that at the end of the market, if he had avocados left, 
he gave them away. He gave them away. And yes, he preferred to get paid for the avocados that he spent time growing and you know pulling and selling, but he would give them away. So this, this big generosity idea. And then he calls this thing the uh, Cartago Code. So Cartago is a city in Costa Rica or a town in Costa Rica. Um, and then this talks about the code of conduct at the Cartago market where, you know, people would look after each other's booths. They would look each other in the eye, say hello, ask how everybody's doing. Um, they had nicknames. They kind of created this really great community for themselves. So in, in Costa Rica, the, the big thing when you look at the, the blue zones, so in the first session, we talked about the, the blue zones of happiness and um, the three different areas, which were um, pride, purpose, and pleasure, I think, I don't, I don't know. Do you think pride, purpose, or pleasure for Costa Rica, which one of them do you think they prioritize? I would say pride in terms of community and in terms of really nurturing relationships and looking out for family purpose maybe in terms of like generosity like giving back and you'll you'll get more back i think those are the ones they prioritize okay denmark is the next one so interestingly for denmark uh, dan butner starts by following a couple of individuals from i want to say latvia from a, a small Eastern European country. And there are these two individuals who are just not happy in their, in their location where they are. And somehow each of them get the opportunity or the idea to venture to Denmark. So in Denmark, taxes are high. So people don't make a ton of money, but the taxes that they pay for will allow for healthcare, will allow for education. So they don't pay for those things. So it's it kind of evens the playing field. Whereas in the United States, education is seen honestly as a business and there's a ton of competition because it's like, you know, two schools might offer the same thing, but this one will give you these connections and this one has this alumni. So they really are competitors. Whereas in Denmark, it's sort of this idea of education for, for those who are willing and want to take the time and hey by the way your taxes are paying for it anyway so maybe you want to take advantage of the education so they follow these two individuals and they even discovered that not only do the Danish pay taxes for healthcare and education and so they get those things as a benefit they also get paid to go to school. So it says here, Danish students are typically paid about $900 a month to go to school. Now, the position that I'm in, I help students find funding and grants for school. So my students get paid as well, but because there are kind of like loopholes there, they have to go through a ton of paperwork. They have to apply for things. They have to be on time. They have to be a full-time student, show that they're getting good grades. And I get students that get kind of refund checks for, for overpaying in terms of scholarships and grants. Um, but in Denmark, they get paid to go to school. And 
they're, they're, oh, it is Latvia. Haha, I was right. They were coming from Latvia and going to university in Denmark. So they were finding some, some happiness there. Even so that one of the individuals on that happiness scale that we introduced in the first section, on a scale of zero to 10 for how happy they rated themselves, they were like a four in Latvia and an eight in Denmark, simply because of everything that was made available to them. They got to really prioritize education and they got to be a student without having to work full-time while also going to class, which made them so unhappy. You cannot focus your efforts fully. So there's that. Go to Denmark if you want a free education. I love that. And then they, so they followed that story and a, a couple of others, but they, the goals are the lessons for happiness from Denmark, the happiness trifecta. Um, avoid the status trap. So again, in Denmark, people aren't really paid a ton of money. I forget what he said about the number of millionaires in Denmark, but it wasn't a lot of people. They pay high taxes, so they don't have a lot of like take home pay, but they do, um, they do find happiness because everyone's kind of an equal. Everyone prioritizes walking or biking to school, to work. Everybody has access to healthcare, access to education if they want it. So there is really not an ego trap. Um, let's see, also like not ridiculously insane. I love, I love Selling Sunset. I love those Netflix those Netflix shows about those grossly huge mansions and $37 million homes, but those do not exist in Denmark. It's a pretty even playing field. Um, let's see. They're, they're also happy because they do choose to bike. It's a big biking culture in Denmark. So they bike and walk and there are tons of bike trails and just, you know, people overall, you know, if you're biking to work versus sitting in a car, you are moving, that's exercise, you're stretching your legs, you're getting the fresh air, you're gonna see more people. Just overall, you're gonna have better health. Uh, they're very big into clubs and service organizations. They are, oh, they empower their children. So this is Danish children are often full-fledged members of the family from about age five. They get a say in what family eats, where they go on vacation, and the distribution of chores. So they're, it's not that they're, they're surpassing childhood. They just see them as equal and they don't really talk down to them, which is pretty cool. They focus on trust. The people there trust their politicians. They trust and favor the police and they trust their neighbors and Ooh, this is interesting, the, the quality of food. Denmark has more Michelin star restaurants than any other Scandinavian country. So they like organic, locally sourced foods, things that are exquisitely prepared. So they take a lot of pride in their food. Uh, they take time in school. Some of them don't start school until age six and they don't often end their academic careers until age 30. I often feel like in the United States, and I work in education, my entire career has been based in education, it feels kind of like a factory, right? You go in at age three, sometimes age two, which blows my mind. Age two, age three. Truthfully, a lot of kids are starting school earlier because both parents or both guardians are working full time and it's either go to a free school or pay thousands of dollars for daycare. I get it. So you're starting at age two or three, a full day. I mean, I read uh, books every Tuesday to third grade to pre-K. They're in school every day, three-year-olds in school all day. I think it's wild. 
And then at 18, we push people out and we say, okay, go figure out what you're gonna do. Some people will do four years to six years of, of college or graduate school, those sorts of things, and usually out by age 25, 26, thinking about what the heck am I doing? But here, people take their time in, in Denmark. They get to take their time. They take six weeks of vacation. So that's a huge thing in other places in the world, which I love. They are very serious about shutting down, shutting down. My work just developed this policy and I think it's pretty similar to other places. We have our set federal holidays that we get our, our businesses closed, but this year or starting next year, we're gonna have two floating holidays so people can pick which holiday, if they want to take like a Christmas Eve or a high holiday or, uh, you know, the day after 4th of July, whatever they want to use it for. And I, I love the flexibility, but there's something so awesome about knowing that your entire organization is sleeping and nobody's going to be emailing each other. Nobody's going to be reaching out to each other. You're not worried about, oh, does so-and-so have what they need to complete a task? Are they going to be asking me questions? If it's all shut down, I just, I love that feeling. I love it. Uh, but the Danes take four weeks a year to travel and sometimes even take two months off. That's awesome. I love the idea of shutting down. The whole month of July should be a shutdown month. I said it. Um, they're really big into co-housing. So families will have uh, kind of like their own area, but they might share uh, a kitchen or a living space or something like that. And because of that, they'll take turns on who's making dinner, who's cleaning up after dinner. I just love that. It takes the pressure off of the family unit, which often, often results in the mother doing two full-time jobs. Happens a lot. I studied it a lot in college, that idea of the second shift um, for, for moms that work full-time and then come home to work full-time again. Um, but this co-housing idea allows people to be around others and assume and, and take on uh, responsibilities for each other. Um, they also, because they don't make, uh, another one is planning purchases. Because they don't make a ton of money, they really prioritize their spending and they take their time. So we're in a culture in the United States of, you know, uh, uh, same day delivery or, um, you know, get it in two days. I mean, I can't talk. I love Amazon. I love the idea of knowing if I order something today, I'm going to get it on Thursday. I love that. And there are even places where you could pick it up in a locker the same day or have somebody deliver it to your house in the same day. They don't do that in, in Denmark. And I say they, I'm really generalizing, but the information that they found for the most part is that the um, individuals in Denmark take their time, they plan out big purchases, they savor it, they really do their research, and then they go from there. So there isn't a ton of just impulse purchasing. I think impulse purchasing gives you this temporary high, and then later there's like a regret. So ultimately it is not good. Ultimately it's not good. Um, they don't work more than 40 hours a week, and I feel like I always say this word wrong, but the Danish culture really pushes this, I wanna say it's Hygge, H-Y-G-G-E, Hygge. So this idea of like coziness, 
you know, cuddling up with maybe a cup of tea or a hot chocolate and just sort of reading books and um, having like low light candlelight being around other people, just savoring, savoring the moment, savoring the moment. So those are the happiness lessons from Denmark. Very different than Costa Rica, very different, but Again, this is one of those areas in the world that people were living beyond 100 and people overall rated themselves being pretty happy on that scale of 0 to 10. Average was like 8. Then we go to Singapore and I'm not going to lie, before reading about Singapore through the blue zones, I, I really had never been piqued or interested in... Um, Asian culture at all. And then Singapore, there's just something about it that makes me really want to go see it and visit. First of all, I had no idea that Singapore was a total planned city that began in the 1960s. So they're not even a hundred years old yet. Not even a hundred years old. So, oh, going back to the, the second section, uh, Denmark, whether they do purpose, pride, or pleasure, I think they're they're much into pleasure in Denmark. Okay, so then we go into Singapore and we follow Douglas Fu, who works 14-hour days. He is a millionaire. He is one of the lucky few people that gets to drive a car. So apparently in Singapore, not everybody has cars. There are really high costs associated not only to purchasing the car, but the ability to get a license and then drive that car, three separate costs. The United States has three separate costs too, but it's like a couple hundred bucks. Um, average person pays five to seven hundred dollars a month for a car. Um, these are like six-figure cars in Singapore, so not many people are able to afford them. However, I do think they said one in eight people were millionaires in Singapore. I need to fact check myself, but I'm almost positive I read that one in eight people were millionaires. Um, so there are a lot, there's a lot more money in, in Singapore. And if you would look at uh, where he was in Denmark and the uh, Cartago in Costa Rica, these just appearance, three very different places. Singapore has the high rises. It's very modern, very metro, busy, all those things. So he follows this Douglas Fu in his 14-hour days and you know, all the time that he spends, there's so much just pride and purpose in, in what they're doing. And then he talks about um, what they're really, they're, they're really into, he kind of likened it to the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, except this is like a whole other level. So they really put a lot of investment and interest into material items. Um, but he did have a, a scene or a moment where Douglas Fu uh, took him out to sushi and then they went on a bike ride afterwards, which he thought was just seemed out of the ordinary for everything that he was seeing. I mean, he has this really expensive car and all of a sudden they're getting on a bike, which I thought was interesting. But they, so overall, just from what, what he learned, in Singapore, they favor security over unlimited freedom. So they have a ton of rules. There are so many rules to this planned city, this planned um, country in, in Singapore. So they, um, for rules like from where they can walk on the sidewalk to where they can smoke, to where they can put their hand on an escalator. Um, their small crimes carry really heavy penalties. So there's a ton of rules, but it seems like people enjoy the rules for the most part. It creates a safe place. Um, they are 
really into their their values so they focus on harmony within others versus your own individual goals making the family proud respecting the elders and authority achieving a certain level of status that's important to the individuals in singapore um, they ooh, they get a uh, a break in taxes or in housing cost if they live near their elders and their family. So they really want people to prioritize living near family. And I think ultimately what that does is it reduce co reduces costs because they know that that family is probably gonna end up taking care of each other. Uh, they really value trust. They have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. Uh, most residents do have to pay to get it, but they get more flexibility with doctors and better hospitals and things like that. Um, they really value money. They value working hard, saving money, investing wisely, and building wealth. They value it. And I'm pretty sure, oh, one in 30. I said one in eight. I was trying to make them all millionaires, but one in 30 adults in Singapore is a millionaire. One in 30. So, and again, you, you know, different values, but it, some people equate wealth to happiness or, or feel like they can't have it without it. So, three different places, three different sets of values, but every single one of them has people that live over a hundred. So it really, I think what it really boils down to is figure out what works in that part of the world and lean into it. So, you know, if we were to set out to try to create the perfect community, the perfect happy community and people that live to be a hundred, we could take elements from all three of these but it would probably fail. You really need to develop your own identity and really find purpose and what drives and, and push forward. So I think where he was in Costa Rica, they really valued uh, family, they valued closeness, they valued uh, community. I think in Denmark, they valued, they valued education, they valued not having an ego, simplicity, and in Singapore, they valued wealth and building wealth and generational um, satisfaction and, and, and making your elders happy. So this section was so fun, so fun to read, so fun. And looking at, so those are just three of the different places that, that they researched and really looked at, but there were tons more places. So he took a lot of what he learned and found all of these different lessons. So he thought that places would be happier and more prosperous for, with their citizens if you lived in a place that promoted volunteering and service, uh, focused on making ha ha general happiness, group happiness, investing in education, allowing people to make life decisions, teaching life skills in schools. That's one thing we definitely need to do providing free healthcare, prioritizing prevention in healthcare, supporting families, all of those different things. And I just, I love reading it and I cannot wait to dive into part three, which is happier by design, which we will uh, investigate for our next session. But if you are following along and reading, or maybe you weren't following along and this has inspired you to pick up this book, oh my gosh, please do. It, is, it was just so fun to, to read and absorb and learn. I just love learning about other, other groups and cultures and their priorities. And I'm excited to dive into part three. This will be fun to check out.
So join me next week for part three of our Blue Zones of Happiness, where we dive into Happier by Design. And then the fourth part will be kind of the conclusion. So this part is probably the longest, the biggest chunk to, to dive through. So we'll try to break it down. Maybe I'll split it. Uh, but if you're following along with me, we'll go into Happier by Design with our next episode. Thanks so much for joining for this week. And I look forward to getting happier with you, reading our Blue Zones of Happiness. And I'll catch you next time. Bye.